Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. I don't know about you, but I know sometimes getting here can be a little crazy. Um, and especially as being parents, you know, you have to wake up the kids and yell at them for to get dressed and yell at them to brush their teeth and yell at them to, you know, uh, eat for breakfast. And, and basically all Sunday morning, you're just yelling and you're just like, we're going to church, you know, and we're going to have a good time and God is good. You know, and we're just, you're trying to stir up some joy in it. I don't know. That's just, I mean, maybe that's not your experience, but that's our experience. And then we have to like pray through on the way to church, you know, and say, Lord, we're having like altar calls in our van, you know, and just saying, God, forgive us for our attitude. And, and so that way we can walk in here with, with some joy and, uh, and just remembering who Jesus Christ is. Um, and I don't say that because I don't love being uh, a dad. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, in fact, being a dad has showed me how uh, uh, not smart I actually am. Uh, and this, it's little things that, you know, questions they ask and you think you know the answer to until you go to try to explain it and then you feel really dumb, you know what I mean? Or even things like, you know, you have to start speaking code in front of the kids so that way they can't figure it out. So Becca will spell a word and I'm just like trying to like understand, you know? And she's like, you know, I-C-E-C-R-E-A-M. And I'm just like, What? She's like, I-C-E-C-R-E-A-M. And I'm like, I don't get it, you know? And that's just part of like, I'm trying to like figure out what she's spelling and drives me nuts. Um, kids, they'll just be honest, you know, about everything. And, and you know, the, the other day, uh, you know, I think Eden saw like a stretch mark on me and she's like, ooh, are you a tiger daddy? Like, what is that? And I'm like, thanks. No, that's just the sign that I'm fat. Thanks, babe. Thank you. Thank you, daughter, for pointing that out. I appreciate it. I really need to get some new habits in my life. And they will challenge you to do that. Exactly. Um, and then after that conversation, I went and had a big bowl of I-C-E-C-R-E-A-M. So, uh, yeah. You still need to work on that habit. Still need to work on that habit. Um, and that's actually what I want to talk to you about this morning is, is habits. I want to talk to you about habits. Um, and habits are difficult to begin to form, but I think that many times the reason that we are stuck in some of the things we're stuck in is because of our habits, because of our habits. And this morning, I want us to look at Psalms chapter 119, Psalms chapter 119. Now, this chapter in Psalms is actually the largest chapter in the entire Bible. Can we just nerd out for a minute? Is that okay? For a second, can we just do that? It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And actually, it's structured grammatically in such a way that unless you know Hebrew, which I don't know how many of you guys here know like ancient biblical Hebrew. Can you just stand up for a second? Uh, yeah, no, yeah, neither. I'm not, I'm not there. But what, but 
but, but, what, uh, but what scholars tell us is that it's actually structured grammatically in such a way that it is artistic and it is beautiful because this psalm is about one of a dozen of the psalms that are part of what they call an, al, uh, an albaic acrostic poem, an albaic acrostic poem. And basically what that means is this, is that out of the 176 verses found in this chapter, they are sort of divided into 22 stanzas. That's how this song or this poem is, is written, is 22 stanzas. And each letter of, uh, each stanza represents one letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, there's 22 stanzas, and each stanza begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Let me just tell you what that means. What that means is this. Let's just say you were singing a song or maybe you were doing a rap, I don't know, and uh, and all of a sudden I were to start shouting out the letters in the alphabet and the next word out of your mouth had to start with that letter. So if I were to say A and then the next word you know, out of your mouth had to be apple and you went on singing about you know apples and then all of a sudden I shout B and then you know butterfly, I don't know, and then you start, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, it's just this poetic way of expressing the truth of who God is. Now, I think that's pretty awesome, but that's actually not even the coolest part or the most interesting part of the psalm. Because when you actually read the psalm, once you move past the grammar, you realize that what the psalmist is doing is he is revealing that he's actually dealing with some inner issues, some inner issues. Right, And I believe that uh, when we start talking about having to deal with inner struggles, having to deal with inner storms, having to deal with inner problems, that all of us in this room can relate to that. All of us. All of us can stop and we can recognize that reality because it is a reality. All of us are dealing with inner issues. We're all wrestling with some stuff, you know? And for for those of you here who maybe like don't want to admit that, well then you're wrestling with that truth because the truth is we are all wrestling with some stuff. And I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that Jesus does not live in your heart. But what I'm saying is he has some roommates, he has some roommates and, and, and there's a wrestling going on there no matter who you are, no matter uh, how old you are or how long you've served Christ, we are all wrestling. There is a fight within us and we are wrestling with some issues and we are being invited into this space to sort of peek behind the proverbial curtain, if you will, right, and, and sort of see the inner thoughts of the person that is writing this psalm and this person's journey of being transformed. And I believe that what we can do is we can uh, learn, we can look at what the psalmist is saying, we can learn some stuff here that I think you can begin to apply to your life immediately and begin to create new habits that will then give you a very different experience than the experience that you are experiencing now. Ooh, say that three times fast, right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that um, I will be a, a messenger that will proclaim your truth. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, that you will illuminate the text to us this morning. And Lord God, that you will be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. 
What I want to do is, uh, for some of you, you might have got a little bit nervous when I said, well, we're going to read Psalms 119 and there's 176 verses. Don't worry, we're not going to go through all 176 verses this morning. You can breathe. You can breathe. All right. Don't worry about it. But what I want to do is I kind of want to look at a few verses. I want to look at verse 112, 113, and 114. Is that cool? Three verses. You guys good with that? 112. I was like, ooh, yeah, y'all got excited. They're like, yes, yeah, you need to get to lunch, Pastor. Hurry up. Okay, 12, 13, and 14. So let's look at this. Verse 112, it says this. I incline in my heart to perform your statutes, look at this, forever and to the end. I incline in my heart to perform your statutes, look at this, forever to the end. In other words, what he's saying is, I want this transformation to last, right? I don't want it to just get me through a Sunday and expire, or maybe last a few weeks and then all of a sudden it's gone, or, 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 or every, it'll last while everything's good, but once all hell is breaking loose, then, then all of a sudden this transformation doesn't last anymore. No, no, no. What I need to do is I, I need a lasting transformation transformation, not one that, that stops and I begin to go back to my old ways of thinking or old scripts being played throughout my mind, but I need a lasting change. How many believe that? And you'd say, yes, you need, we need, I need a lasting change. I need it to last. Say, I need it to last. Need it to last. That wasn't very good. We'll try it again. Say, I need it to last. Need it to last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need it to last. So again, verse 12, he says this, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I incline my heart. In other words, what we're talking about, these habits that we're talking about today, this, these aren't just any habits, but these are heart habits. In fact, that's the title of this morning's message, Heart Habits. Heart happens, my heart. In other words, it has to happen within. It, not just the behavior, but the belief that drives that behavior has to change or it won't last. It won't last. And, and the Holy Spirit is wanting to do a work in you that produces lasting change. And, and how that happens is through forming habits because your character is really the sum total of your habits. Your character is really the sum total of your habits. So we have five habits we're going to get through this morning, I think. We'll see if we have time. You guys ready? All right, habit number one, know to incline. Know to incline. Notice verse 12, he says, I incline my heart. I incline my heart. Incline. Incline, meaning that it was, that, 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 that's not the position that it was naturally in. Because if he had to incline his heart, then that must mean that his heart was declined. Right? That means, that means he had to act upon something to take it from declined position to an inclined position. He had to do something in order to orient his heart into another direction. Inclined and declined. Now the problem is most of us go through life reclined, right? Just, you know, whatever happens, however I feel, whatever I'm feeling in the moment, that's what I'm going to act upon. That's what I'm going to talk about. That's what I'm going to say. That's how I'm going to see it, right? 
But if you see this big picture throughout the Bible, you will know that this isn't just something that you have to do one time, the inclining of your heart. It's not just a one-time thing, right? I wish our hearts were that way, but it's not like, oh, I gave my heart to the Lord, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago or last week, and, and now my heart will never need to be inclined again. It'll just stay there. This is, no, what, what the psalmist is saying, and in fact, what the, what, what the entire Bible is saying is that it's not a set it and forget it type of situation. It's not a set it and forget it type of situation. I love set it and forget it situations. I love it. One of the best inventions ever is a set it and forget it invention. You know what that was? The crock pot. The crock, I mean, I don't know, how many of you guys cook with the crock pot? That thing is genius. I love it. You just throw all sorts of stuff in it. No matter what it is, it's going to come out good. So you just throw all sorts of stuff in it. You put that baby on six hours. Then you come back home and dinner is ready, right? I mean, that is just amazing. When we got a crock pot in the house, I just knew that heaven came down on earth that day because it is just beautiful. And I love it. Just set it and forget it. But actually, what the psalmist is saying is that your heart is not a set it and forget it type of situation situation, right? Rather, your heart is to set it and then check it and then reset it and then check it and then reset it and tweak it and check it again and then recalibrate it some more and check it again because our hearts will do this. Every day, we are going to be tempted to, to sort of decline to a default position every day, every day, a position of despair or discouragement or dysfunction. But what you need to know is that you ultimately are in charge of your heart. You're in charge of your heart. You are in charge of who you give it to, who you submit it to, what you do with it. Are you going to give it to God or not? You are in charge. In fact, Proverbs tells us to guard our heart, to guard our heart. The heart is important. The heart is important. I actually went to the doctor recently, just last week, and he had to talk to me about my heart. He had talked to me about my heart and he wanted me to do some things and, 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 and he said, listen, Roger, I don't want you to go out there and I don't want you to be running and then all of a sudden fall over from a heart attack. You know, I don't want you out there running and then falling over and, and having a heart attack. And I said, oh, doc, you don't got to worry about that. I don't run. That'll never happen. I'm not a runner. Just so you guys know, everyone in this room, you know, I'm not a runner. Now, I know most of you here are like, yeah, Pastor Roger, we, we got that. We figured you weren't a runner. We don't even know if you're a walker, Pastor Roger. <laughs> Right, Because your heart is important and you have to get in the habit of inclining your heart, of orienting your heart towards Jesus Christ. And then look what he says this, continuing in verse 113, he says, and I hate the double-minded. I hate the double-minded. I hate the double-minded. Now I know we're in church and we're not supposed to use the word hate because it's all about love, right? But, but look at what he's, he's claiming. He's proclaiming what he hates. Habit number two is this. Know what to hate. You've got to know what to hate. Hate can be a powerful motivation for change. And some of you need to make a decision about what it is that you actually hate. Let me give you a, 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 some practical examples. These are very surface level practical examples, right? But, but maybe, uh, you know, I don't, maybe you love talking about people. 
right? Maybe you love it. You, you love kind of gossiping and, and talking about people, right? And, and you love highlighting other people's dysfunction so you don't have to focus on your own. You know what I mean? You just, you just love it. You just love talking about people, right? You're all about the tea. You're all about getting in there, right? And, 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 and listen, if I'm that type of a person, right, then, then here's the reality is the more that I talk about you, then the harder it is to, that the next time I see you to treat you better than what I talk about you. See, the more and more I talk about you, then the more and more that I see you, the harder and harder it's going to be to treat you better than I talk about you. So it ruins relationships. It ruins relationships. And sometimes hating that fact that all your relationships are shallow and without any real connection will begin to cause you to desire to form new habits because you hate not having in-depth friendships and in-depth relationships. And, and, and because even though, even though there's something within you that desires to do this gossip, but you hate that it ruins relationships, when you begin to hate that so much, then you'll form new habits. You'll form new habits. Because there's a healthy kind of hate. There's a healthy kind of hate. I hate bullying. Or how about procrastination, right? Until you hate the pain of procrastination more than the discipline of preparation, then you'll never produce what you could have. You'll never produce what you could have. Now, these are very surface level examples of even deeper realities of our spiritual life, right? You need to know what to hate. Very important. And often, what you hate will be defined by what you love. Often, what you hate will be defined by what you love. Right? For instance, I love uh, reconciliation or I love uh, being able to see unity within diversity. I love that people are diverse and that God created every single person in his image. And so because I love that God created everybody in his image, I hate racism. You see that? Sometimes being able to identify what you hate will come from being able to identify what you love. Because look, look what he says. Let's continue reading that same verse. It says this, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. So habit number three is know what to love. You've got to know what to love. Now I'm going to take some time here. I know you're thinking, oh, there's five habits. We're already on number three. We're going to get going. Well, I'm going to take my time on this one. Y'all ready? You got to know what to love. And he says this, he says, I love your law. I love your law. Well, what's the law? What, what does that mean? What's his law? What, what's God's law? Well, that's the word of God. Now, why would the entire Bible be referenced to as law? Why would this Bible be called law? Well, there are a few uh, reasons, but one very important reason is because what it's saying is that it's all authoritative. All of it. The entire Bible is authoritative. These things aren't just suggestions, but these are, these are commands. These are, it has authority or it should have authority in our life. The word of God should dictate to us how we live and the decisions that we make, right? It's authoritative, right? In other words, if God's the creator, then everything he says in scriptures would consummate wisdom. If God's the creator, 
Or, or if God is king, which he is, then everything he says in scripture has authority. It's not just suggestions, right? Or if God is holy and righteous, which he is, then everything in scripture is accurate to reality. It's not like you read this and you're like, nope, that's antiquated. That has nothing to do with my reality. No, 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 no. If he's holy and if he's righteous, then everything in scripture is accurate to reality. Or if God is sovereign, if God is, is completely in control of all things, then what that means is he can prepare his prophets and his apostles by everything that happens in their lives, their experiences, their personalities, their education, uh, even their biases. He can, he, he can orchestrate it in such a way that they then, from their free will, writes exactly the things that he wants to have them write to produce what is called the Bible. You see that? In other words, the reason it's called law is because it's truth. It's truth. Now, when I say that, I have to stop, especially here in the Bay Area. Because here in the Bay Area, it's a very different understanding of truth. You know, I'd like to just urge you to be sensitive to the fact that you are being bombarded with a very different understanding of truth. The culture tells you that truth is a subjective inner thing that you discover and it's relative to you. That's what culture says. It's that truth is this subjective inner situation and it's relative to you. That truth is whatever you think it is. Truth is whatever you say it is. That's what, that's what culture says, Right? That it's not this outer reality. Truth is not this outer objective reality that you submit to, you know, um, and, 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 and that is true for everybody. No, no, no. What, what, what society tells you, especially Bay Area, is no, no, no. There's not this truth for everybody. It's your truth. Yeah. It's your truth. Yeah. Right? But the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says, no, 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 there's this objective outside reality that you submit to. There's a truth that is true for everybody. And it's not sort of this interpersonal subjectiveness. There is such thing as objective truth. And there's hundreds and millions of ways that we're seeing this even throughout our culture. How about this? How about this? Do you guys remember like the old vampire stories and movies? Remember those? Like the old ones, right? And what are some of the ways you could stop a vampire? Now, I know we're in church and y'all trying to act like you didn't watch no vampire movie back in the day, and you, but y'all know you did. You know you did. It's okay. You know, be free in Jesus' name. You're fine. So anyway, so how would you, how would, you know, how, how was the way that you would, you know, kill a vampire, right? You can use something like holy water, or a cross, right? Remember that? Holy water and a cross, right? And what does it do? It burns them. Why? Well, because the, in the older idea, what the idea is that this holy water or this cross uh, focused sort of the, the reality of what the cross represented would then be projected onto the vampire and destroy it, Right? What, what the, the reality, the truth of what this cross represented would, would project onto the vampire and destroy the vampire. 
But, but then as culture began to create new vampire movies, right? How many of you guys remember like Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Y'all remember that? Buffy the Vampire Slayer? What's interesting in Buffy the Vampire Slayer is you didn't have to use a cross anymore. You could use all sorts of religious symbols. You could use all sorts of religious symbols to, you know, defeat these vampires. Now, right away, you might be saying, ah, the vampires got diversity training. No, that's not what happened. What happened is, is that our culture is saying, wait a minute, there isn't just this one truth. All of the, there, there, there's this, truth is, 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 is subjective. Truth is subjective. It's relative. And we're being bombarded with that. Wow. One of the most important exercises uh, and really wonderful exercises that you can do with Psalms 119 is go through all 176 verses. Y'all ready for some homework? Go through all 176 verses and just choose every part um, that talks about the Bible, the Word of God, the Word of God's truth, and, and what it can do for you. Just circle those, highlight those. Every time it talks about what the Word of God can do for you, highlight those. Br bring those out, Right? And one thing that you'll discover is what it does, what the law actually does is freeze you. What the law actually does is freeze you. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean these limitations that we read about, they free us? I thought, I thought freedom, I thought real freedom was less limitations, not more. I thought, in fact, I thought what society says is that real freedom is no limitations at all. Do whatever I want. My own person. No one tells me what to do. Limitless, right? Limitless. Wow. Modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any control. Right? But think of it as a fish. Think of it as a fish, right? Because a fish absorbs oxygen to, you know, from water, not air, it is only free if it is restricted in water, right? If a fish is freed from the river, no one's going to tell me I have to stay in this river. I can do whatever I want. I need to stay in this water. I'm going to get up and go on the land. Nobody can tell me what to do. And the minute the fish decides to go and do that, guess what happens to the fish? Right? It begins to suffocate, right? It begins to try to go under the grass and stuff, right? It's freedom to move around, uh, and soon even its life will be destroyed. The fish is not more free because it broke out of these limitations, right? But less free if it cannot honor the reality of its nature. And the same truth with things like, um, you know, airplanes, and birds, right? If they violate the laws of aerodynamics, then they'll crash into the ground, right? But if they follow them, then they'll ascend and they'll soar. The same is true in, in, in our areas of life. Look what Tim Keller says. He says this, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as it is finding the right ones that will fit with the realities of our own nature and those of the world. That's what true freedom is. To find out, wait a minute, what, who, why was I created? What was I created for? Who created me? 
And, 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 then, and then where I'm really free is when I function under that identity, when I function under that reality, when I function within those parameters and those limitations is where I find true freedom. And you might be saying, well, okay, okay, you know, uh, you know, I, get, I need to love God's word. I need to love God's law. But here, here's the problem, Pastor Roger. When I read these laws, when I read these limitations, when I read the word of God, the reality is I actually get depressed because I can't live up to this. I can't live up to this. No matter how hard I try, I, somehow I'm always failing, right? Even when Jesus comes along, remember Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? right? He took something like that. He, you know, he took adultery, right? And he said, listen, even if you lust over another person in your mind, then you've committed adultery. Wait, what? What? Or he took murder. And he said, listen, listen, even if you hate another person in your heart, then you've committed, you are a murderer. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are you doing? Jesus, you're not making the law easier. You're raising the bar. I already can't reach that bar. Now you're raising it again? What are you doing? There's no way I can't live up to that. And you're absolutely right. And that's his point. That's his point. You will never live up to that. But here's the good news. You don't have to. Because Jesus did it for you. You don't have to because Jesus did it for you. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five. He says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. He's come to what? Fulfill them. Oh my gosh, fulfill them. Fulfill them. See, when the law is understood in its entirety, its aim is that Jesus Christ gets the glory. Therefore, Christ will forever be glorified in our salvation which means we will forever lean on his righteousness and not ours. On his righteousness, right? His righteousness. In other words, the reason that we can stand before an all-holy God justified, right? Justified. In other words, just as if I'd obeyed all the laws, the reason we can do that is because the ground of justification is the obedience and the bloodshedding of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And Christ alone. And the more you realize this, the more ever everything in your life will be changed. Everything. To the, to the degree that you get this is to the degree that you will be more and more in love with the law. See? And then things like prayer and fasting and studying and gospel community and, and, and wisdom. You know, maybe when some of you guys thought when, when I talked about habits, you thought that's what I was going to bring up. But those things will then flow from these heart habits. From these heart habits. You've got to know to incline. You've got to know what to hate. You've got to know who you love. So you can, here's habit number four, know where to hide. So you can know where to hide. Does your heart know where to hide? 
You, you better because the attacks are going to come. You better know where to hide because the missiles are going to fly. You better know where to come because the arrows are going to come down. You need to know where to hide because doubt and discouragement are going to try and set your heart on the incline. I'm telling you, church, you better know where to hide because depression is going to creep in and frustration is going to creep in and anger is going to creep in. You better know where to hide because you're going to get attacked. You better know where to hide. Because these things will try to keep in to keep you stuck and keep you in an unhealthy cycle. Do you know where to hide or do you run to the same enemy that you're trying to hide from? Are you running to the same enemy that you're trying to hide from? Look what he says here in verse 114. He says, you are my hiding place and my shield. You are my hiding place and my shield. That's a powerful thought. That's a powerful thought. Because what it is saying is this. He's saying is the reason I'm going to be able to move forward in life, the reason that I'm going to be able to keep pressing on when the odds are against me, the reason I'm going to be able to have victory and stand firm, the reason I'm going to be able to grow in Christ and and be able to progress in Jesus isn't because I won't have attacks. It's not because I won't be attacked. But when I am, when I am, I know where to hide. Oh, I know where to hide. It won't be because the flaming arrows of the enemy and the problems of the world will never assault me. No, 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 no. What he's admitting here, what he's saying is they will. And I know where to run to when they do. See, because the expectation of no attack is a setup for disappointment. Because how you are able to have peace in the middle of storms is what the psalmist says is this, is I have designated in advance a place where to run when the attacks come. I'm not waiting for that. I'm not going to wait in the middle of it. Well, well, I'm in in the darkness and I'm in the pit and here's depression again and here's frustration again and here's anger again and here's disappointment again and now I got to figure out, scramble around. No, 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 no. I've already already determined, predetermined what before there's that. I know where to run. I know where to run. And some of you are asking God to protect you from the very enemy that you're running to. Where do you hide when it gets hard? You better know before things get in, before things get hard instead of trying to figure out. You need to run where it's safe and not to the things that have um, like the illusion of safety. Right? Some of you guys have run to things that are the illusion of safety. Maybe it's eating or destructive thought patterns or porn or blame. Blame is a convenient hiding place. When something goes wrong, it's always someone else's fault. Well, if the kids would have done this and, and, and if this didn't break down and if the car didn't do that and if the spouse didn't do this and if the teacher wasn't this way, if my professor was more like this and if my boss was like that, you know, blame. Well, if I wasn't raised like this and, 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 and you know, whatever, blame, blame. Well, I didn't get that and, and, and instead I got this and I'm blaming it because this is what was handed to me in life and I didn't get this over here. Blame, blame, blame. And blame will shield you from the inconvenience of ever having to change. 
right? But that will only last. That's a false sense of security because it only lasts for a little bit. Maybe blame is your hiding place. I have a question for you. Ready? What is your hiding place? What is your hiding place? Maybe your hiding place is low expectations because if you can't expect much, then you won't be disappointed. I don't know what, what, I don't know what your hiding place is. I don't know where you run to, what you go to when things, are, when, when, when things are erupting in your life or when there's a problem that comes up, you know, and you have to try to stay faced and you don't want anybody to know. It, it, you, you know I don't know what your hiding place is. Where's your hiding place? But what I do know is this, is God's calling you out of it. God's saying, come on, come on, come out of that. Come out from behind there. You don't need to run to that. You don't need to run to that. You see? Yeah, that, that place is not, is, is not actually safe. It looks safe, but it's not really safe. It's just the illusion. In fact, that place is often will turn you into something worse than the very thing you're trying to hide from. He's saying, come out of that. Come out of that. Come out of that. Come out of that and run to him. Run to him. Psalms 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Almighty will rest in the shadow of the Most High. In other words, the reason some of you are not resting in the shadow of the Almighty is because you are not dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. You need to run to Him. Do you know where to hide? Verse 114 again. You are my hiding place and my shield, my hope in your word. I hope in your word. Last habit, habit number five, know your hope. See, biblical hope is life-changing certainty about the future. Being certain about the future in such a way that it affects how you live even right now. See, you and I are, we are unavoidably and irreducibly hope-based creatures. We are controlled, not how we live now, but what we think will happen later. What we think will happen in the future is what controls us. And Christian hope is to do with the ultimate future, not just tomorrow, but the ultimate future. See, because the whole world is going to be redeemed. Jesus is going to redeem spirit and body. He's going to redeem reason and emotion. He's going to redeem people and nature. In other words, there is no part of reality for which there is no hope. Because of Jesus, there is always hope, even in the darkest moments of your life. Having these habits will keep you from having spiritual heart attacks. Having these habits will enable all of us to not just see a change that is temporary and then when something goes bad, it changes. It stops. But a transformation that is ongoing and that is forever. I don't know about you, but you know, we get, we get in these unhealthy cycles and we just get stuck in them. And it's because we have to go back to these heart habits. These heart habits. The habit of inclining our heart, of knowing what to hate, of knowing who to love, of knowing where to hide, and the habit of knowing our hope. 
habits of the heart. Let's stand to our feet. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we get ready to worship you, as we get ready to respond, Lord God, I believe, Heavenly Father, that many in this room are hiding behind false senses of security. And Holy Spirit, I believe that you are calling them out, that you are crying to their hearts and telling them, listen, I am a strong tower. I am a place of refuge that you can run into. You can hide beneath the shadow of my wings. You can run to me. Stop running to the thing that's trying to destroy you, but start running to me, knowing where to hide. Would you just come out of those hiding places? And Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us do that right now as we begin to sing, as we begin to worship, Lord God, that we will call out, that we will not just identify them, but we will call out those hiding places and that we will run from them and run towards you. And Heavenly Father, you'll help us create these habits for our health in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.